In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 244. Quarterly, quarterly number five. Woohoo! Oh yeah. At least we're halfway through. <laughs> uh, so we are talking about Rebirth. I know. It is kind of ironic. I, when, I was, when I did read this the first time, it is kind of ironic that the title is Rebirth. <laughs> uh, no, not that Rebirth. Uh, we are talking about Green Lantern Corps quarterly number five. Um, this one is entitled off the side Rebirth. Uh, with a subtitle of The Death and Birth of a Hero. Looks like we've got stories of Alan Scott versus the newer, deadlier Harley Quinn. Norp becomes human in The Return of Itty. That says it, pick me up right there, people. Maybe. That's right. <laughs> or drop me fast. 64 pages for $2.50. And we want uh, our money back. Out in the early 90s. So uh, before, before we get started, want to talk about the cover real quick? Sure. Now, what do you think about the cover? I like the cover. The co- the cover kind of drew me in, especially because you have the, the like the the yellow shards or the or the the missiles heads or whatever the arrowhead kind of like being shot at, at as we find out will be Adam. So I so the cover the cover is pretty impactful. It's pretty it makes you curious about what's going on. Yeah, it's cool. I just don't think I like this particular style of overly. Uh, muscle-bound characters like this, large muscle-bound characters like this. Uh, this is, seems uh, overkill. The same way, and and, and this is going to prove to be ironic later on, um, and I'll I'll tell you why, folks, later. But um, so s- stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> but the same way that Green Lantern number four, the cover to Green Lantern number forty-three. Doesn't really. Uh, ah, yes, the cosmic thing. Yes, I. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now that you say that, now, now that I know, now when, when, yes, when we get to the reference point of why that's relevant to this issue, yes. I couldn't off the top of my head. I couldn't figure out. I that number sounded familiar, and I was pretty sure I had it. But then now that you say that, now I remember why that issue strikes. Now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the cover, guys. If you don't if you don't uh, have the ability to look it up, but you, and you're probably listening to this on a on a device anyway, so just pull up a, a, a browser and search it. Uh, Green Lantern 43 uh, from the same year that this came out. Um, it's the one that's called, entitled Cosmic Defender with uh, Hal Jordan on the cover, like super massive and charged up, shooting green energy from his eyes and all kinds of things. I. I to be honest, I never read that issue until today <laughs> because I just really don't like the cover for whatever reason. 
and this cover I don't enjoy for the same reasons. Just I don't like that large, overmuscular look. But that's that's neither here nor there. So, uh, Mark, you're gonna take things uh, take things uh, off here for the start of it, right? I'm gonna do the best I can, people. This is I'm gonna do my best to to be at the top of my game for this issue, but I'm making no promises. <laughs> I'm a little disgruntled right now, as Chad and I were talking about before we started recording, whether it's an overall Green Lantern funk or whether this issue just kind of like does nothing by the nature of it to like inspire me to be you know, super enthusiastic. I am not sure, but uh, but yeah, this this issue could either could have come at a different time or could have been I was maybe if there was a little bit more to this issue, maybe it would have you know pumped me up a little bit, but. We're still going to do the best we can. Right, Chad? (laughs) (laughs) We lost Chad. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting at its greatest, people. (laughs) All right. So we begin on Oa with, and I guess I wasn't reading Mosaic at the time, and I still haven't read all of Mosaic. So these these characters mean nothing to me. But (laughs) And if you weren't reading Mosaic at the time, it would mean nothing (laughs) to you either. But there's a bunch of four kids who were – who basically were related to the mosaic that I guess John gave power rings to. Don't ask me why. I guess if you read the book, it would all make perfect sense. But <laughs> Dan Kursky, right in. Let us that's know. right, Dan. Dan, you're our expert on mosaics. So tell us exactly why Frankie and the rest and the rest of these kids are really important. But neither neither here nor there, these four kids with their little power rings are are on the surface of Oa and they find this cocoon, and they don't know what's going on and what really. But they, but they know John was able to use his power ring to look inside stuff, so they come up with the great idea of, hey, let's all use our power rings and focus in on this co- cocoon, and maybe we can find out what's inside too. So once they pump green energy into this cocoon, uh, it, it opens up, and this, you know, this crystallized female breaks, breaks free, going, at last, at last, I'm born again, Contin- beginning the theme that's carrying forth in this issue. And everybody's going, oh, she's a bug lady. She's a beautiful bug lady. And, and I like that. Ooh, nice thorax. <laughs> Very inappropriate. <laughs> but it turns out uh, this is Chrisma, who was f- uh, formerly of the Green Lantern Honor Guard. And she pretty much was in uh, – when the Green Lantern Corps was shattered in issue 224, she began her metamorphosis. And basically the green – I guess the green energy from their rings brought her out of her stasis. And she's all excited because, you know – because she knows John Stewart, and the kids mention John Stewart, and she's like, "Hey, does this also mean the Green Lantern Corps is reborn?" And the kids are like, "Well, we're not exactly sure how that's you know how that's all working out, but there's you know there's tw- twelve Green Lanterns now, and the Guardians are recruiting more, and and you know Christmas is all excited because the guard the Guardians you know had left to go to the other dimension, uh, the last she heard." So she, you know, so she's really excited, and the kids are like, "Oh, come on! We've seen more, like like twenty guardians. Like, come on! There's Citadel. In, is I don't know why it's in quotes. It is a Citadel. <laughs> like, the Citadel's over there. Come on!" So it's like, I, I like the I like the fact that she, the the uh, Christma calls all the kids little grubs. I like that. <laughs> so they go fly they go flying off to the Citadel, and we kind of again they kind of giving her a brief re- recap of what everything that's gone on while she's been in. Uh, her stasis, and they mention she mentions how the uh, she gets told about how the old timer, you know, went uh, went nuts and everything, and you know, and she was that kind of upsets her. They find their way to the Book of Oa, and she, you know, she's all excited to see that, and it's like, oh, I must know what has happened since I began my sleep. 
And now we begin the first story, which I guess I do too, so I guess there's no gap. <laughs> Say something, Chad. <laughs> All right. A double dose of, of me to start the, the episode. So we have the, the figure which Chad didn't, didn't particularly like the way he's drawn, this overly muscular figure who we will find out is named Adam. And basically, as we will find out shortly, he is basically a one-man species. That his species consists of one, one person who, and this person can, and their life cycle begins and ends, and then it gets reborn again, and just keeps carrying forward. And he is, you know, he is the Green Lantern of his, of of his sector, and while he's, you know, picking up, you know, roots and things to to, that I guess, makes a little like a, almost like a candy. That, that's what probably Fizzup is. We 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 hope it's nothing worse than that, <laughs> but it makes some kind of treat that he calls Fizzup if you combine a couple of the. Uh, Couple of the stems and the flowers together, but he finds you know he gets this sense that there's a you know an off-world a transport, you know, in danger heading into his sector, so he he turns into his Green Lantern self, which is kind of a pretty lame costume. It's like Green Lantern overalls, you would say, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, he's got he's got like a like like a white a, a white underlayer behind Green Lantern overalls, and you know he's got he's got his little white and green boots on. So the name of the story is Adam this time, and with Elliot Magan is is the writer, uh, Francesco pencils, Bob Dvorak inks, Albert de Guzman letterers, and Steve Steve Matson does the colors. So Adam sees the ship and it's like, oh, the, you know, this craft's inertia is gone, you know, beyond the mounds of, beyond excuse me the means of its propulsion system to regulate. If I don't stop it, it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. So basically, Adam does his best to try to, you know, save the ship and these really, really odd-looking, freaky aliens that are like, they're like pink and half, almost like borderline. You know, they have, kind of have, uh, I don't know, they're insect-like because they kind of, and they, but they also look like they're pink and they're wearing diapers. With really scrawny arms and legs, they're really weird, and I don't mean that in a really great way, looking aliens. And while Adam's trying to save these aliens, all they care about is, you know. Battle stations, battle stations, and it's like you know, they they can they completely resist his efforts to try to save them. They're they're you know carrying some you know toxic or to them anyway some toxic fomas in their hull, and that's what they're transporting. And at this point, all they really so while Adam's trying to save them, they keep fighting Adam, and he doesn't quite understand. These aliens keep kind of you know fighting, keep fighting Adam, even as you know the all you know the the foam keeps. It's completely ruptured and filling up their entire ship, and Adams c- continues to go. I will save them despite themselves. And he, and finally, you know, basically the ship is so full of foam and the, and the creatures are dying that they can't fight back. So Adams able to successfully land the ship onto his planet, and you know he op- he cracks open the ship, and then all this all, all this foam that starts pouring out and he finds one alien still alive who he tries to save and as he's trying to save this alien this friggin nut thing <laughs> this nutty alien goes die alien scum and he tries to attack Adam and he starts punching him and everything else but eventually he just dies uh, whether it was entirely the explanation Adam gives or not or whether it was a foam or just he just makes it he just makes this observation or maybe a little rash conclusion that the, the, that the being pretty much just expired in hatred as in, they, oh, maybe hate pushed him over the edge. He goes, this body's covered with foam toxic to his species. It's like, why would they transport this? It's like, I'll think about, you know, this later. You know, they were living organisms. 
you know, and will continue to live, yada yada. And he kind of, and he kind of, he buries them, which is pretty cool. You know, he takes the time, you know, to bury them, and he makes the point of mentioning all life is renewable. My ancestors have known this from the beginning, but for some reason, you know, I all of a sudden I feel very tired. And he goes, he goes to lay down and take a nap, and you know, as he takes a nap, we kind of basically a guardian, you know, a, a guardian ap appears to him or comes into his thoughts. And we kind of get, we kind of get, we get the background on his species. It's like Adam, you were the four thousand seven hundred fourteenth ring bearer of your line. You know, the time approaches for your successor. And basically, that this is this is where we get the you know the breakdown of how basically he's, the guardians found the species that were basically composed of only one soul. They originally they were you know they were potentially sentient, but they weren't. And the guardians more or less decided to help make this uh, this species sentient. And they basically, had, you know, the ring reached out to, you know, to one of, the, basically, they, you live, you go, you jump into the volcano, you get reborn. That's pretty much what happens with this species, this one being species life, life cycle. And once, when, when one of the, during one of the rebirth cycles, that's when the Green Lantern ring appeared before, you know, the, the newborn. The newborn reached for the ring, went on his finger, and this basically created the cycle that we're in now, where now, unlike before, all the memories and experiences of the past, uh, all the predecessors, all your ancestors now get passed on to you as opposed to before. Before the case, all everything you learned, all your memories, all were lost. But now they basically get passed on, you know, one to another. Uh, at, you know, Adam wakes up and he realizes that the ring dream, you know, as he calls it, the ring dream has returned. And he kind of realize, realizes that, you know, it's getting really close to the renewal time for him to go and then he realizes based on something that happened in the dream that you know he's going to have a son or he basically he's going to become a, his own son and as this as this happens we find out that uh you know as the ring pretty much talks to him there's a byproduct of tin based vegetation forms native to you know whatever blah, 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 this it kind of rambles on that it you know, expands and dissipates in the atmosphere it's harmless to the Planetoid food stuffs vital to survival of sentient wave patterns, yada yada. So basically, the long story short is that Adam feels compelled to return this, return this material, right? Chad, mm -hmm. is that right? So basically, the rest of the story is Adam's Adam's you know racing against time to return the food to where it belongs, and of course Adam Adam ends up getting attacked by these like yellow arrowheads, which we see on the cover. But he, he basically, you know, so it's it's nothing more than a race against time. He's getting damaged. He's getting hurt. He's trying to return return this stuff. At the end of the day, Adam, I, he he essentially has he puts himself what into a like a cocoon of an asteroid. An asteroid. He makes, but I should I should phrase this better. He makes like an ast makes like a cocoon or a shield out of the asteroid, because obviously the green energy is not able to stop all the yellow energy, and even that's kind of not it doesn't really work long term and you know at one point he gets what he, he gets completely covered with these crystals with these mm -hmm. like yellow the yellow arrowheads and he pretty much he succeeds in he succeeds in his mission you know to return the food stuff uh, but at this point pretty much Adam's lifespan has has expired but he basically before he has basically instructed his his ring to more or less fulfill his his final life stage or his mission of his life to return himself to the volcano. So Adam gets dropped into the volcano along with his ring and the battery, technically. And mm -hmm. Adam gets reborn as a child. 
he reaches out for the power ring and pretty much at this point you know the the life cycle you know the life cycle uh he is called Adam your father was called Adam and again thus the title of the the story and the whole life cycle will begin anew with a new younger Adam who will also be a green lantern <laughs> so what did you think I mean, I thought it was cool. It, it it was better than the cover led me to believe. I agree. I I I thought the cover. I didn't have such a negative reaction to like the way he was built on the cover, but I didn't I didn't necessarily think it was a going to be a story I might I would be interested in. But actually reading it, yeah, I kind of I like the story. I like the concept. I like the fact that you get kind of get the nobility of the character with the fact that he knows that basically you know his entire he is his species, and and the only way for that to continue is to fulfill it. And to complete the life cycle, but yet his his duties as a Green Lantern, he's still going to make sure he completes his task as a Green Lantern first and foremost, and then worry about himself. And so some so someone say it might be selfish from the point of view that it's a big picture thing that probably may be better for his species to survive. Though it's easier, I guess, to maybe not think that way when it's a one person species. But still, no matter what, he put the greater good ahead of himself, and it was kind of cool that everything worked out in the end. Yeah, um, I mean, like, like, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed. It. I think it was really a really cool concept, um, and uh, it's it's almost like the Guardians have just have elected to, you know, I know it's a, a different universe, but to ignore the Prime Directive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, because they're like, oh, huh, this uh, one being just keeps dying and being reborn and dying and being reborn and dying and being reborn, but never learns from the past. Let's fix that. <laughs> so that that was interesting. Um, it's the art was interesting. It's, it's especially in the in terms of alien design. So that. Hmm. So these aliens, uh, the first ones, look like, well, the only ones, really. Weird. They are they are freaky looking, man. It looks like they're pregnant. And so, wearing diapers. Yeah. And half, half, and half their face looks like it's almost becoming like, almost like rotted or a skeleton, and the other part is pain. It's, it's, it's. It's a little are, overboard. Yeah. I think that's kind of, yeah. That that's probably a simple, a very simple way. Of, I mean, I don't mean simple as in bad. I just mean a very accurate and straightforward way of describing it. It's like they were, it, like I said, when that, they were weird and strange, and I don't mean it in a good way. It's like this is like not exactly the, the way you would imagine, or when you think of really exotic-looking alien life, this is not the way you would think of it. This is like this just makes something really, really, really unappealing and weird. And it's like uh, I don't know. It's like. Like you know, they kind of, they kind of got almost like fangs or whatever, like a spider hanging out, and it it's it's really really weird. So mm. I don't know. It was it was definitely enjoyable overall. I think the uh, I just googled uh, sector one zero five five uh, to see if we had ever encountered any other lanterns supposedly from that sector, and Adam is the only one from that sector we've ever read about in the lantern history. Maybe we'll see so, him. Again. Maybe we can see him again. That'd be cool. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing him show up in the background or even be, you know, a central part of a story or something. You know, if we can finally get back to, you know, Green Lanterns doing Green Lantern things instead of you know large cosmic threats that require the entire core, but seeing you know Lanterns 
do things in their sectors. <laughs> uh, it'd, be, it'd be cool to see him on a mission or something like that. Though you do have to wonder how his lifestyle was affected, like during Emerald Twilight and things like that, when the rings were not when, when the rings were offline. Because you would think, depending on the, depending on how long his life cycle is, because they, do they do they tell us how they don't tell actually tell us right how long his life cycle is? No, they don't. So if so if he hadn't died again. Uh, by the time the battery, you know, if he, if if it was all, all one life cycle, let's say going forward from this point when we're reading the story, and let's say they, even if he ages at a normal rate, you know, he looks fairly young when he dies. He doesn't look like he's particularly old. Uh, but let's, but let's say even his life cycle is maybe like 25 years of ours, and clearly he would still, in real time, he would still be alive. From, so he he may never have gotten to the point of having to die again when we during Emerald Twilight before Rebirth, so then maybe it was okay, because if he still had his Green Lantern ring, then when the ba- central power battery came back online, then maybe his ring just fired up again, and then he would be okay. It only would be an issue, obviously, if he was going going through the Rebirth cycle and he didn't have a ring active, that means all his memories and everything else would be lost again. Or maybe just one cycle, one or two cycles. Maybe, of, yeah. It's, 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 it, it, I guess the it's ring not... stored the information, but you know, just one or two generations missed out. Right, right, but I just mean that until they still, they, they still, they still have, they still have the biological compulsion to leap into the volcano. Oh yes, it. yes, yeah. I don't mean, I don't mean that the the lifestyle wouldn't, the cycle wouldn't complete itself. I just mean that without the ring, that that having all the knowledge and the memories and the history of, of his predecessors, he he would that would be at least lost to him temporarily until the ring came back online. Because I don't think I don't unless they directly imply that it's just, that. The ring more or less has is altered with their genetics to make sure that it's that it that it's like it's ingrained in him these memories not not that the ring gives it to him and I'm trying to see if it makes that clear or not. Uh, you're. I'm wondering. It's probably because it it looks like it's talking to him as he sleeps. Yes. It does. It, it does talk. Like to as him. a baby, you are something called alive in a place called the universe. So maybe it's 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 uh, subliminal is not the word, but what's what's when you're trying when you're learning in your sleep? Like subconscious, you mean something yeah, more like something like that. And it's easy. But it does. It seems to be tied to the ring, though. So I think it's the. So. So prob. I mean, I'm still taking from it that probably if the ring wasn't active, that he would not. That he now let's say if if he was a newborn, if he had just been newborn and the ring wasn't there to, to give him this information, then he wouldn't have this knowledge. Mm. So now, now obviously he's not going to lose the knowledge that the ring has already given him as an adult by conversations with the ring. He's going to remember that. But if he, but if the life cycle had to begin anew and the ring wasn't functional, then he probably would have no real basic knowledge about the history and who he was and what had come before him, at least until the ring came online. But well, that, that's maybe. true, but it's it's possible also that you know they could get around it by going, you know, they he learned to read and write from the ring as well, and created a hard copy, you know. Yeah, that's true. They could do something encapsulated history. You know, whether it be caveman style on the side of a in, in on a wall in a cave, you know, at the foot of a volcano, or you know, whatever. So. It could it, they could rectify it any number of ways. I just think it'd be cool to see him again. Oh, I agree. I think I think from from reading this 
from reading this story, I think it would be it'd be really interesting to uh, to see him again. I think and he'd, be, he'd be a relative innocent too, because he's the only one on this planet. And he seems yes. he, he's a, he's a he's a gardener essentially. He he tends to the to the planet and he you know grows things and tries new combinations and he buries these aliens and says you know in my garden all life is renewable. My ancestors have known that from the beginning. Uh, and then he he when after he has his dream he looks at the ship and goes I better get rid of this you know I got to clean up my mess and make things nice for my son when he comes so it'd be cool to see that yeah I agree um anything else about this no it was a, it was a good a nice self-contained story I liked it maybe probably the, to me probably the highlight certainly the ones I'm re- I'm going over I think this is the highlight of the issue all right we uh skip over to the next story called dreaming written by Ron Mars pencils by Jim Ballant inks by Andrew Pepoy colors by Matt Webb Bob Pineha Pinaha is the letters and the Green Lantern created by Bill Finger and Martin O'Dell and why do we have that? Because this story is about Alan Scott. Uh, Alan is dreaming, hence the title, uh, and uh, he's dreaming about a fight between him and the Harlequin in the Golden Age when they were both young. Um, he wakes up, turns on the light, and skips into the bathroom. Well, didn't skip. Walks into the bathroom. Uh, turns on the light and looks in the mirror and sees he is made young again. Uh, he says, I, I want to look into this and I want to, you know, uh, I want to bask in this gaze in the mirror and study every youthful detail. I want to embrace it, but I can't until I know why and I'll find answers, but not as Alan Scott as Green Lantern. Um, he flies off into the night. Uh, I was going to make a comment, but I'll save that for the recap um and as he's flying he suddenly gets shot with an ice ray and plummets down uh to the ground and icicle is standing over him uh, icicle yes that icicle the jsa villain from long time ago uh he says you can't you're dead he ends up fighting icicle icicle shoots his uh, gun at him again puts ice over uh alan's fist the one with the ring on it and he melts it off, and then uh, he uh, shoots his uh, beam at Icicle. Uh, his gun blows up, encases Icicle in an ice uh, whatever. Uh, he gets uh, he clearly looks like he dies because you can see a, a skull in there, uh, and that's very clearly a skull and not Icicle's face, you know, uh, distorted. All of a sudden, the ice that Icicle is encased in gets shattered by a fist, and we see Grundy standing there, Solomon Grundy. Um, him and Alan go at it, uh, and uh, Grundy is getting the better of him for a great long time, and Grundy is decomposing in front of him. Uh, if not, he, he looks more zombified than Grundy normally looks. Yeah, it's a more like Black Lantern, zomb- <laughs> Black Lantern Grundy here. <laughs> right. Um, Alan uses his ring and lights uh, Grundy on fire. Grundy melts into a pile of bones. Um, then he says, in God's name, who is doing this to me? And he looks up and sees 
a woman clad in purple standing on a rooftop nearby. He flies up and says, "You're how can this be you're doing? Who are you?" She says, "Harlequin. I want you to call, call me Harlequin." He says, "Harlequin." He says, "My wife was the Harlequin years ago. You're saying you create illusions just as she did. You're saying you made all of this." I want to I want to know, am I young again? Is any of this real? She says, "Why does it matter?" He says, "This isn't or she, she turns herself into older Alan Scott, Alan as he's supposed to be, um, with his original costume. She says, this isn't what you want. You don't want to be old again. Old and feeble, and right about here, Alan, the fake Alan, Harlequin's uh, vision, is decomposing in front of Alan and says, old and feeble, withering away with nothing but stale memories, do you want to die a doddering old man's death while the rest of the world goes on without you? Uh, and he grasps uh, his own decomposed corpse uh, and the costume, and then Harlequin appears as normal. Says um, he says she says that's why I did this for you for us so we can be together. He says what are you talking? She says it's meant to be, Alan. You know it's what you want. And he says no, and he shoots his beam at her, and she disappears. She says it's what you want. He says no, and then um, just um. A little later, we see him sort of crouching on a on a ledge in Gotham, very Batman style. I couldn't resist. Had to, had to mention Especially it. with the cape flowing in back of his head the way it is, almost yeah. like Batman's ears. It says, uh, I'm reminded of those long ago years of playing hero. Precious years, the best of my life. I've regained my youth those years. But what have I given to reclaim them? And the editor's box says, now the dream ends. Next, the nightmare begins. That's it. So, one of the things I like about Alan Scott is the fact that it take, he's he's a Gotham hero. Uh, that and to be to be honest, now that I think about it, I'm quite fond of Gotham heroes outside of Batman <laughs> and not related to the Bat family. Ragman, Alan Scott. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 pretty obvious. <laughs> so. Like one of the failings I think of the Gotham TV show is the fact that they keep doing, as Patton Oswald used to put it, you know, the whole villains as little kids kind of thing um, that he made fun of the the pre Star Wars prequels for. You go listen to that stand up. It's why I don't like Gotham. Um, and Gotham, the TV show, keeps going back to the Batwell when there are many other things they could be doing in relation to Gotham slash the DC universe. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to have the powered up version of Alan Scott, but how would, how hard would it be to have a, you know, a, a, a news radio broadcasting mogul or whatever, an aging man named Alan Scott in the city involved in a story. How hard would it be to have rags and tatters in, you know, the junkyard? And I mean, how how hard would it be to have all of these things? They keep going back to the bat well so many times in Gotham, it bothers me. Um, but then you get this story, which is fine. I mean, artistically, uh, I don't think I'm familiar with Jim Ballant and any, anything else. But this very first page, Harley Quinn looks amazing. Very well done. Simply, very simply done, but very well done. So does Alan. Um, but the way they do this, and maybe it's just the 90s, maybe it's the costume design, but especially, look when Alan transforms into Green Lantern and he stands there and he's clutching his cape 
And then he flies off just like Batman. You can see his cape billowing out like big wings and he's just floating through the sky. Uh, I mean, the, the way he leaps around fighting people is very Batman-like. Um, he keeps grabbing his cape like Batman does. It, it's just... It's... it's uh, Alan, uh, this is... this is. I feel like complaining about it is not that big... Is, is kind of worthless because this is the 90s. This is obviously all changes. And we know it all changes. So complaining really does nothing. But I'm pointing it out because... I don't like the Batmanization of anything not expressly related to the Bat family. I don't need Alan Scott to be like this. There's no need for him to be like this. I feel like they're doing it just because he's in Gotham. I can understand that. I could see why that would be uh well that would be a fair criticism. Mm. And you and you are correct. He does. If you if you look at you look at their his uh, the poses of Alan Scott, you know your your observations are dead on. He does grab his cape a lot, like he's Batman. He kind of holds it like Bat like Batman during especially during the '90s kind of did. Uh, like I pointed out at the end, and it's not the only time, not the only panel. It kind of has the back of Alan's cape angled and pointing, almost like bat ears. So it's. It makes sense. Uh, as a story, the only thing I didn't like about it is like you don't really get a lot of answers to this. You know, it just it's mm-hmm. obviously it's obviously, and this is not 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 the only story in this in this book that does that. That basically it, it opens the door, for, and and you can say mosaic does that too in a way. I mean, the 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 origin, the prologue with the mosaic references. But there are a lot, bunch of things in this issue that basically are just almost like, well, you you like this, so now go buy this to find out what happened. You know, basically, like it's just, just to kind of get you hooked to follow, to follow it, to follow this along somewhere else, and somewhere else may not necessarily be though for Alan it may very well it may be, but for a lot of the other characters it's not. Well, follow us next quarter, you know, next quarter and quarterly is like that's not really where they're going with it. <laughs> so, but the artwork I thought was pretty good overall. I don't I don't like the new Harlequin. No, she's uh, very slutty nineties. Yeah, very like punk. She's got that punk. Kind of like, kind of like a yeah, it's, in the '90s, kind of with a, a little bit of the Dazzler look, kind of like combined into one. She has a little Dazzler in her, in the way her costume is like, I think, and even the way her hair flows. I think she's a little Dazzler-like. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, I don't have much to say. There wasn't, there wasn't much here. I'm guessing the answers come in quarterly number six. I'm guessing. Since, since they don't really direct you to another book, uh, even though they did what reference Justice Society earlier in, in this story, I believe, but they don't mention that, oh, it's coming, like, go pick up Justice Society 21 or something to see what happens next. They don't do that. So I'm going, I will, I do believe that there, that this story, at least, is probably going to be picked up on in, in the next issue of Quarterly, since, especially since we've had Alan Scott's pretty much the only consistent thing about the Quarterly, is that every month, there's a, every quarter, there's a story about Alan Scott. Mm-hmm. Or with Alan Scott. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I don't. I just. I've already said. I just don't like the the Batmanization of Alan here. It's it's unnecessary. Um, anything else about this? No. Okay. I don't think so. 
All right. Moving on. Whatever happened to Itty? Steve Matson, writer. Art Nichols, penciler. Alve, inker. Gaspar, letterer. And Steve Matson, colorist. So we open up with Itty recapping his history from the collected works of Flash 240, Green Lantern 104, and Green Lantern 106. Itty is essentially, and I'm, there's a lot of text in this story, uh, so I'm not going to read it all, but Itty, for those of you who remember, is Hal Jordan's little buddy, the little starfish dude that he had on his shoulder for a long time when he was out gallivanting a lot, especially during the sort of Green Lantern, Green Arrow era. Uh, well, after the Green Lantern, Green Arrow era. Um, in terms of, you know, issue... Well, I already said this, 104 and 106. Um, Itty evolved. Well, died, evolved, uh, and was... It was, he, he says to himself, he's thinking to himself, my adolescent stage caused my friends great pain. So after my maturation, it was time to leave. So he left Earth, left Hal, left Ollie, left Dinah, and went out to the stars. Um, well, Itty has been sort of gallivanting around in the cosmos, trying to learn and understand and sense out others of his kind, but he hasn't found any. So he's looking at the Vivarium, the structure Green Lantern fought so hard to protect um, in Flash number 237. This is a place where he had uh, other members of Itty's race. Um, and it has obviously been breached and destroyed, and, and uh, they, the, the kids, I guess, all died. Uh, the little starfish things. And some scavengers out in space are eating him, and he fights them off. And he says, uh, you know, he's my anger is misdirected. The scavengers have their role. I'm the one who failed my broodmates. All of a sudden, he senses a shout on the cosmic wind. And it fills him with hope because it's from a being like him. So Itty, having supreme cosmic power, essentially sort of starts teleporting himself off to where this shout came from. Uh, the shout came from a female version of Itty. She has been captured. Um, she's the last of the Lasma. Uh, she's been sort of captured and being... Uh, uh, they're, they're trying to either captive or capture or destroy her, one of the two. Um and she's fighting them off, increasing her density, things like that. Itty shows up, and of course, ignorant of all of this, uh, says, you know, hello. <laughs> uh, and they shoot him. He knows pain for the first time. Um, they get distracted trying to decide to go after the, the new male, uh, Itty, uh, as opposed to the female. He says, this, this is new. I don't like it. Um. The female wakes up, grabs the ship, destroys it, and then uh, they wake up. They recover together. She says, you know, uh, I've been waiting eons for you. She says, we don't have much time. He says, you feel nice. Uh, and she, <laughs> <laughs> she kisses them, and they have space sex, uh, or they just kiss, and that's all it takes because her little cloud wisps from her head slash hair, um, 
you can see little starfish forming in it. And she's, he says, your, your head, what happened? He says, your head, what happened? She says, a second chance for our race. And she, he says, uh, what, wait, what, why did those aliens try to hurt us? She says, the LaRue are in an ancient breed with, uh, uh, an agenda of pure evil. Wait, they're returning in force and I am vulnerable in this condition. He says, I know someone who can help us. He lives on a planet called Earth and his name is Hal Jordan. And she says, hurry. And they teleport off, presumably, towards Earth. And it says, and I told you we'd get back to it, continued in Green Lantern number 43 on sale next month. Shameless plug. Well, Green Lantern 43 is the cover I mentioned earlier in comparison to the cover for this. Yes, Itty and uh, this female show up on Earth asking Hal for his help. Um, He does help them. Evidently, the process of childbirth is painful <laughs> duh <laughs> um but i guess threatening to her um so how in this is in green lantern for this is all in green lantern 43 how uh is tasked to help um use his green light his aura his is uh his power as green lantern to sort of alleviate her pain while she's quote-unquote giving birth to these new uh, these new little starfish things. And while Itty goes off and takes care of this this invading force uh, who has followed them to Earth. Um, they show up uh, out in orbit and Itty's taking care of it, but one of the ships or a couple of the ships come down towards Earth and I think it's at Ferris Air because all this takes place around planes and hangars and shit. Um, and Hal essentially gets in a tug-of-war match with one of the ships and his battery, and his battery explodes, and he takes all of the energy into him, hence why you get this massive version of Hal Jordan shooting all kinds of power out of his eyes and shit like that. He, with all this power, goes off and helps Itty defeat back this invading army. He does so. They win, but they haven't defeated the entire race. You know, there's still more of them out there. So, this Itty and his new bride um, are aware that they're going to be in constant danger of of this of the Larue, and what they do is they leave the babies with Hal, <laughs> and they go, Hal, uh, it's they're too vulnerable in this state. You need to just take care of them. So there's like thousands of these little things, and Itty just goes, Itty and his bride go. Uh, so take care of our babies for us, will you? <laughs> just fly off in his space. <laughs> but it's, it's just, they don't need food or water or, or air or anything like that. They just need each other uh, to be happy. So I guess Hal flies up into space and I guess makes another vivarium or something. Uh, it, it doesn't show you in Green Lantern 43 what he builds or anything, but he's flying out of the atmosphere with them. So I'm guessing he's building another one of these things somewhere safe for them to be. But it's so funny because it's a weird ass story, but, but it's it gets even it, it takes a hilarious bent when this super powerful cosmic being who's finally found someone of equal power and measure and races him just goes, eh, we can't protect them. We'll be too busy fighting off the Larue. Watch our thousands of kids for us, Green Lantern. You've got nothing better to do, right? <laughs> We know you're a great parent, Hal Jordan. 
But, um, yeah, I, I, I actually enjoyed this. I don't have a huge background with the character, but it was it was it was an enjoyable story. I think the art was pretty well done. Actually. No, the art is good. The the stuff, especially when in space, is really good because you kind of have almost, uh, like almost like an anti-monitor look to him at some points in uh, as he's becoming bigger and less star-like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, more less wispy cloud-like. Yes, taking taking more definition. Uh, a little bit, a little like Galactus-like, a little more, a little, a little anti-monitor-esque in some in some forms with the steams coming off of them. But it was it was a pretty it was a pretty good story. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I never I've read several stories with Itty, um, but Itty, I don't know. Itty, Itty doesn't really. Itty's an enigma. Like I I. I I have a hard time when I read stories with him in it, thinking that this being has any sort of sentience at all. Like you, you get the feeling that Hal was just off on a planet and sort of kidnapped this little thing, and goes, "I'm going to make it my pet now." <laughs> uh, it, but it's there are times when it just seems like a a weird little pet, and times when it seems like a sentient being, and it's kind of hard to remember. I mean, clearly it is uh, based on this story. But some of the other stories, it, it was just it's it's hard to tell. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's there's I mean, unless you have a longstanding history with Itty and you know have a whole lot more to say, there's not a lot to comment on this uh, because it's just the start of a story that we'll see wrapped up in another issue. Yeah, and that that's one of the things I was I wasn't. And I was kind of alluding to when we just talked about this with Alan Scott in a way. I'm not a not a huge fan of them doing that. Of make of the stories not really being contained. We're kind of we're kind of like you and I are both kind of on board in general. Even though this isn't an annual, but it kind of feels like it's an annual. These quarterlies kind of feel like they're annuals. I guess I could understand the, you know the cross pollinization and then wanting to. And, and clearly, this is less annoying than it was like in the first one, the first issue, when we, like every single friggin' panel had like a see Green, see Green Lantern number one coming out next month, see Mosaic, you know, Guy Gardner, like every almost every single, if not every single panel, every page at least had some kind of reference point to another issue. So that was so blatant. It isn't like this. It's just that I don't like the idea that necessarily beginning stories that are not going to really end, at least not in the quarterlies. They were going to end in the next issue of quarterly, okay. But this one really wasn't designed to be that. But it's okay. I mean, it was a good story, at least a good part of a story, just in this issue. And I guess if you... If you if you cared about the character, then I guess it really would it would make it probably would make sense that you would be reading Green Lantern anyway. So maybe it isn't that much of a shameless plug. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have much else to say about it. Um, I, I you know for for I will say just to, to wrap up my thoughts on it for a story focused on a really obscure part of Green Lantern lore and history and, you know, past stories, it was actually pretty entertaining. I mean, if you would have pitched this to somebody and goes, okay, guys, we're going to give you, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
Eight. We're going to give you eight pages detailing what happened to a, a, a Green Lantern character from the past. You're going to go, oh, man, who is it? And then they, they told you, Itty. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't think a lot of people would be like, oh, wow, I've been waiting for that story. <laughs> Sign <laughs> they, me up now! Exactly. And... And so, so just on concept, it's not really that exciting of a story. But when you when you take that and you go, oh, we're going to learn about whatever happened to Itty, it's actually a pretty enjoyable story for you know it's it's more enjoyable than you expect it to be. So that's cool. That is true. It's certainly oh. more. It's definitely more of a story, a better story than you would figure. Uh, you would think it was like, eh, maybe not so much. No, I it, it works. And I, I like the real cosmic feel to it. Yeah, I think so. that I think that's true. I think it was, so it was it was it was nicely done. All right, go for it, dude. Oh uh, yes. Uh, if, to be fair, as far as 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 far as Nort stories go, this one was certainly I thought this was one one of the better ones so far. <laughs> Stupid, but it's Nort, so you can't expect. Yeah, there's got to be some consistency there with Nort. And the consistency you get is that it's stupid. <laughs> Hopefully amusing too, but stupid. So, <clears throat> our North story begins in the great... What a great name, Cornucopia, huh? <laughs> the sleepy hamlet of Cornucopia, which just happens to be Sax Girl's hometown. Big population of, what, 1575 and dropping? <laughs> and major export, bored people. Much like uh, Sax Girl her- herself. So basically, Sax Girl Nort helps bring Sax Girl back to her back to her home, not just her hometown, but back to her home. And you know, you know, she just goes on about how boring it is. That's why she headed for New York. And you know, the, one of the things right away is that you know there's like a bone in the front yard, and and Nort's kind of like taking a really special attention. You know, this is drawing his attention, and she says, "Oh, it must be one of Sparky's bones." And then <laughs> Nort's picking up on right away. It's like then Sparky sure wears a lot of perfume. <laughs> so it's not your just not your typical bone going, you know. And and you know, Sax Girl listens to what you know Nort said, you know, and it's like, come on, you know, don't be silly. Sparky's my dog; he doesn't wear perfume. Like I caught him in my mom's high heels once, but he's definitely not the perfume type. And Nort's like, oh, I'm kind of nervous. I haven't seen him, you know. You know, she, I should say she's nervous because she hasn't seen mom in like about a year. And Nort's kind of funny, like, you know, well, at least, you know, when, when, whenever my mom and dad know I'm coming, they pretty much make sure they leave town. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, she, they, they go inside the house, and they hear a big woof woof, and she's like, here's Sparky, here, boy. And then, of course, we see that it's her friggin' mom who's barking, who's barking like a dog and acting like a dog and comes running over to her and starts licking her. And, you know, Nort's like, your mom's name is Sparky, too. <laughs> Oh, Nort. And that's when we get the final, we get the title of the issue, or the story in this issue. Every dog has his day. Well, Michael Urie came up with this. Not something to be proud of. <laughs> Joe James penciled it. Barb Kalberg inked it. Albert de Guzman lettered it. And Anthony Tallon colored it. So as, you know, a sex girl's mom is, like, licking her all over the place. Then we see Sparky, her dog, basically he's wearing, like, a robe and he's, or a smoking jacket, and he's got a pipe. And, you know, sex girl's, like, completely confused about, you know, what is going on here? You're talking, and my mother's on all fours, and... Uh. 
and she passes out, and, and North's like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, Sparky's like, you know, that human spoke. I best play along until I can report to the leader. And Sparky talks to um, Nort over here going, oh, don't worry about her old chap. Probably time for her distemper shot. And Nort's also picking up on, you know, you're a talking dog like me, but, you know, I've never met another talking dog on Earth. So we're kind of like, you know, what's going on here? And Sparky kind of rips into him. It's like, your uncivilized behavior will set canine kind back a million years. And Nort's on, you know, I'm just as uncivil, I'm just as civilized as the next guy, as long as he's a total moron with little or no motor con- control over his motor skills. Oh, that Nort. And then Sparky seemingly recognizes who Nort is, and, you know, they're having this conversation, and Sparky tries to, like, basically get Nort out of the picture by, by having him watch television. And it's kind of funny because on television, while North's watching TV, we kind of basically have an episode of Lassie, except of course it's the human, the, the human acting like the pet, who is the star, who is the star of, of the TV show. Sax girl comes comes to, and at that point she hears and sees Sparky on the phone, you know, talking supposedly to the leader. It's like Sparky. I was like, yeah, Sparky's here. I mean, Sparky here. I have in my home a talking human girl. It's like odd. She looks vaguely familiar. We also have a complication. The humans with you know that Green Lantern Nort. He seems. But he does seem dim-witted. Oh, yes, leader, I understand. I'll detain them. And at the moment, actually, when she walks in, you know, Nort's watching, I guess, the, the canine version of David Letterman. Rover Setterman. But on bone with Zany's stupid human tricks. Uh, Sparky pulls a gun on her. Cause it's, we, have to, we have to go, you know, we have to go see the leader. And, and she kind of, like, smashes, smash, uh, smashes Sparky in the face with a picture frame. And Nort's like, she just wants to watch TV, and that's when we kind of see, you know, the, the, the Lassie spoof going on. Sax girl escapes, and she's running out, of course, with Sax in tow, and even though she does throw it at this point so her uh, mother can go fetch it. And Sparky chases her out, packing heat, but Sparky just can't pull the trigger. It's like, I, I just can't shoot. You know, Nort's, while Nort's watching TV, he's kind of figuring out, you know, something really something really weird about this. It's like, last time I saw this, I think Timmy was the human, and Sassy, otherwise known as Lassie, was the dog. Something's really fishy here. It's like, you know, basically, this is a job for Nort, and he, and, you know, he's kind of like, he's about to, you know, he really wants to go find out what's going on, and somehow, basically, you know, being hit in the, the, Sparky being hit in the head with the picture and being confronted with Sax Girl has kind of brought back memories about the way things used to be because we actually get a glimpse of the picture which shows Sax Girl, you know, Rose, who otherwise known as Sax Girl, holding, you know, young Sparky as a puppy and that gets Sparky all sensitive and he starts crying. It's like, you must help restore this town to normal. We have to go, you know, we have to go after the leader. You know, basically dealing with the leader is the only way to set things right. Sax girl's kind of like in town trying to find out what's going on, and then we see all the all the dogs in town are acting like people. All the people are pets. Uh, she gets caught basically like the by the by the human warden since it's not really a dog warden, and she gets brought to see the leader, who <laughs> the leader of the pack, as he's actually called. That's a cute Galactus though outfit, isn't it, Chad? <laughs> <laughs> the leader of the pack is wearing a, wearing a not so subtle rip-off version of the Galactus costume, uh, with a big L on his chest for leader, and he's out there going, "Behold the awesome altered 
Ultragenator, you know, the machine of my invention that made you the dominant species of this town and made your former captors, the humans, your pets. All hail the leader. And they're bringing Sax Girl in to about, to, you know, to about to do the conversion. You know, and, and Nort, jump, Nort jumps to the rescue, and that's where we have one of those convenient plot points that all of a sudden Nort recognizes who the you know, leader of the pack is. It's like Professor Navin, Newt, Newt, you know, Newt's greatest genius, you know, and you were my sixth grade science teacher for seven consecutive years. It's like, you know, I'm king now and I have you to thank. And basically, because uh, I guess Navin over there saw how dogs were treated on Earth because of Nort's adventures here. He realized that, you know, there was, there was something wrong with that, so he had to create, you know, his alternator so, he, you know, he could convert. You know, basically, so they could swap places. And he goes, oh, basically how it works, it's a psionic computer. You know, it stores intellect. So in lay dogs' terms, I like that, I reverse brainwaves of canines and humans in this city. And the altered reminders of the past, including television, to fit the new order. Uh, you know, while North's being distracted, talking to the leader, you know, this, this, this vicious poodle <laughs> basically turns turns the, the alternator gun on to North, and North turns human. What do you think about North's human look? <laughs> uh, very Stallone-like. <laughs> yeah, except for his hair. But yeah, his well, I mean, face, just at the very beginning. Yeah, like, oh, hey, yo, you know. <laughs> hey, yeah, like, hey, I'm looking pretty good here, you know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> and, and, of course, uh, freaking sax girl gets her hormones go shooting through the roof. I was like, wow, you're you're so handsome. What a hunk. And it's like, uh, it's like, and <laughs> and the leader's like, Nort, I'll let you stay human if you become my right paw, uh, dog, uh, man, or whatever. And sax girl's like, you know, we can't really do this. You know, Nort being human is nothing, you know, to write home about. You know, basically... She convinces Nort to try to, you know, to try to set things right before she does. You know, she kisses him, and that, and and kind of like, well, that kind of gets Nort's human hormones like off the wall too. But Nort does the right thing. He uses his, you know, his Green Lantern ring basically to blow up the Ultragenator. And you know, when that blows up, everything conveniently goes back to normal, including her mom. It's like, hey, mom, mom, say, like, hey, it's good to see you. And and somebody's talking to the dog. Nice little tie-in. See what happened. Gee, what happened, Mr. Peabody? And they had a little, you know, later that night, they're in, uh, basically, they're at Sax Girl's mom's house, and the leader is still wrapped up in, like, a green energy, almost like a straight jacket. <laughs> and uh, Nort's having fun playing with, you know, little Sparky, who's back to being a dog again. And Sax Girl's mom is all, you know, she's all happy. He's like, oh, thank you very much, Mr. Nort, for taking care of my daughter and bringing her home safe and sound. And Nort says, you know, he's, he's going to take Naven back to prison on Newt. And it's like, Sax Girl's like, you know, I've been thinking, and I'm afraid you, you're going to, you're, you'll be going all alone because pretty much she decides, you know, she's going to, you know, she belongs here, she belongs at home, and this is where, you know, so she's not going to continue on with Nort's adventures. So she gives Nort a little kiss on the cheek, and Nort takes, you know, takes the leader off. And I like that little tear in North's eye as he flies off, as he says, you know, well, there's lots of adventures waiting for me out there, so I better go face them alone. And as he's flying off, you know, saying that, he's got that little tear in his eye as he realizes his adventures with Sex Girl have come to an end. The end. Can I do that last page? Sure, I'll do the last page. Uh, so, uh, now I forgot her name. 
What's your name? Mm. Something with a Prisma, Maxima, something like that. Hold on. Uh, We're close enough to the beginning, I can just wrap around. Chrisma, excuse me. I apologize. Uh, so so we get to the end. Chrisma, is, uh, we switch back to the Book of Oa, and she's talk, She's with uh, Frankie and the kids, and she goes, I don't understand. You know, the book was has allowed me no glimpse of of the death of a guardian or the current state of the core. And one and when the kids goes, you mean the book tells you what you can read? And she goes, but, wh- but why would they wish me to read only these? You know, she just goes on, and, you know, what the Guardians wish me to know becomes com- comprehensible to me. You know, the rest remains in the unreadable script of the ancient Maltese. So that relates to, you know, how the book can, you can only read what the book allows you to read. <laughs> and when the kid goes, so they wanted you to see that stupid dog and think you didn't want to join it anyway? And one of the other kids, you know, I like the dog. It's like, I like how he changes and everything changes and then it goes back and everybody sees how it's supposed to be. And, but that's kind of, you know, but that's kind of what, they were all about, right? Changing, making yourself new, rebirth. Uh, and then we get to, you know, you know, is that it? Do the Guardians wish me to read tales of the others' rebirths in order to inspire my own? But that's the nature of being a Green Lantern, isn't it? With every deed of our rings, we recreate ourselves through our own will. And now the cores, the core, excuse me, regenerates itself through new wills and old. Come, let us speak with the Guardians. Let us learn what place there is in this core, in this cosmos, for new wills like yours, and an old wills reborn like mine. The end. <laughs> I don't have much to say about the North story. <laughs> it was dumb. It was stupid. It was a North story. You know, we we keep saying that, though. We get a lot of listeners who like North. North, I mean, let's be fair. North is... Nort is funny. He he is funny, but I think it's it's easier to, to it's easier to I think to appreciate the humor on some levels of Nort as long as you really have a good understanding and background and what Green Lanterns are really supposed to be, and then you can kind of see though this is kind of like the the really really far end of it, kind of like Jack T. Chance could be all the way on the one on another far end of the spectrum related to what, how Green Lanterns are and they act. So. It is kind of silly. It's kind of harmless silly. I think that's 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 why it works. And to be fair, if you look at all the stories of North, excuse me, <clears throat> that we've done in this in the quarterlies up to this point, most of the stories have been entertaining. Are they important? Are they mostly throwaway stories? Sure, but it's entertaining. So maybe you might. So you raise a good point. Maybe I sh- maybe I should have I should phrase it differently. But it's but I actually enjoyed the story compared to some of the other ones. This is uh, there are other North stories that were not as I kind of liked the, the whole reversal the, the guy the dog wearing the Galactus suit that kind of made me laugh. <laughs> oh, the leader of the pack that was kind of cool. So I, I I enjoyed the story. I mean, this maybe it's just the thrill of recording and, and us sharing the comments. So when you, you know talking about this now and going over these stories somehow it seemed to be a lot more enjoyable than even when I was rereading this like. Tw- or re-reading this for like the for like uh, 20 minutes before we recorded. Somehow it seems much more enjoyable now that we've actually talked about it. So the magic of podcasting, people. Anything? In the uh, letter, anything in the letters column you want to look at? So uh, from the letter columns, there's not a lot in here. I mean, I mean there is a lot in here. It's two pages. Um, but uh, everybody seems to be pretty much enjoying this. 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 Um, the, the idea of all of this. Um, the first one, though, 
it, it, of interest. It just gives kind of hints towards future things. So, um, the, the first letter is it's really long. It's from somebody named Dan Wernert. Um, and he's got a list of uh, questions, suggestions, things like that. Um, the first one says, number one, remember green magic? And what I'll do is I'll, I'll read each of these bullet points, and then I'll read the editor's response to them. Makes sense. Uh, Good idea. So, number one, remember green magic from the old GL series. Bring that GL back for a G- Green Lantern quarterly story. Um, it says, number one, the editor response. Green Lantern Quarterly number seven, just in time for Halloween, will have various other kinds of green magic, including a vampire hunter GL. We all know who that turns out to be. <laughs> that's that's me saying that. Um, number two, green uh, bring Jack T. Chance back in a Green Lantern Quarterly or in a limited series. Editor response, if you ask nice, he'll return to these pages, maybe against the main man. That's a reference, to, of course, to Lobo, and of course, uh, if you can, you can just look at the covers and know that that comes true in the quarterly uh, issue number uh, eight. The, the last, final. yeah, I thought I thought it was the last issue. Okay. Spoiler alert! <laughs> number three, please, I'll pay four times the normal cover price. Do a Hal Jordan Alan Scott team up here. Number three response: four times, huh? Well, you can't ask nicer than that. But how about how, but how much would you pay for an Alan Scott Avancer team up? So that's a reference, I believe, to number seven. And uh, also avoiding the <laughs> avoiding giving a straight answer to the idea, or maybe giving you the answer to the how Alan Scott team up possibility. <laughs> number four, keep Alan Scott, lose Nort. Guy is the only. <laughs> Sorry. Guy is the only GL I hate besides Nort. However, Guy would make a very good new Sinestro type if you ever decide to go that way. For response, Dan, stop taking Nort so seriously and you'll enjoy him more. But you'll be glad to know that next issue is Nort-free. How do the rest of you feel? Do we keep the doggy or do we just shoot him? Vote. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> uh, and the final one, number five. Titles for Green Lantern Quarterly's Letter Column, Lantern Lights, Letters to Glow By, Emerald Mail... Sectors to book on, guarded secrets, oaths to tell of, recharged, r- recharged rights, core call, omnipotence to speak of, d- daily deliverances. And it says, uh, just to keep you guessing, every issue will have a new letter call title. Unfortunately, it's not yours, Dan. Try again. <laughs> and he says, P.S. Where's Hal Jordan Airwave? Airwave's last whereabouts were reported in the final issues of The Fury of Firestorm. But if enough of you want to know what happened after that, write us and we'll reveal whatever happened to Airwave. Uh, We should probably talk about Airwave at some point. Probably. Just do an Airwave episode. How many of you out there would like to hear us do an airwave episode? Right in, let us know. <laughs> We're taking a poll, people. <laughs> do we shoot the dog or do we bring him back? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, overall, I think this was the most underwhelming of the uh, of the issues. I, as much as I like doing um, the quarterly quarterlies, just for you know the the sort of nostalgic thing. Yeah, you and I do like the Kyle Rayner stuff every now and then, but this is even further back. Yep. So I like I like looking into this sort of weird era for Green Lantern. Um, I think we said it 
Um, I don't know if we said it on one of our episodes or if like we were co-hosting with Ryan or something. The eighties, the night, the late eighties, early nineties is a, is a weird time for Green Lantern because everything in comics is going so Dark Knight Returns and serious, deep, broody stuff um, that it's hard to have that. Um, tone in a Green Lantern comic. Um, not because, you know, because things like Emerald Twilight and that can get pretty serious and pretty pretty real pretty quick, but when you're dealing with space cops with magic rings, you know, and you can't really... I'm not saying you can't, it's just you, it's it's difficult to tell those types of stories. So Green Lantern sort of... The, the late 80s, early 90s of Green Lantern sort of suffers from the period in which it's in. So it's always interesting taking a, a look at some of that older stuff again. Um, it's my least favorite of the quarterly issues so far, but I think, like, you know, the itty thing was kind of cool. I really enjoyed the art in that. It was ultimately pointless. As much as I like doing the Alan Scott stuff, this one was really pretty worthless. I think the only thing of real substance here, and yet, sorry to you Nord fans, the only thing of real substance here was the Adam story. But I feel like in other issues, we had more of the other stories give us something to take away. Whereas this one is really just one story. Yeah, I think I, I think those are good points. Um, if you actually look, looking ahead towards the next issue... Six looks great. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why I wanted to mention it. I mean, we... We have, you know, we have a, apparently Arisi and Hal is a story. There's a there's a Lara story. No, it's it's it is Larry's origin. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, is it her first? Is it her first per- appearance in comics? Period. Well, it says introducing the ninja, Green Lantern might of of Lara. So I'm assuming that might be her. That probably is her first appearance. Uh, Budika, Budika is going to be in, in that issue. Uh, we obviously are going to have Alan Scott and getting more about the nature of Harley of Harlequin. And it's and we let's see we have the one woman makes a difference in an offbeat story so that must be a different Green Lantern and obviously Ron Mars continues to write the the Alan Scott story the ongoing story that they're telling so that's something to look forward to so based on based on descriptions alone you would think uh, issue six should be a big step up from where we went in this issue because if for no other reason it's dealing with a lot of characters we actually have a have a history now with and we care about <laughs> then to see how they began or how the, some of their earlier incarnations um for those of you obviously if you if you can if you have the issues if you want to read ahead absolutely go ahead um but in particular to prepare for the uh next episode watch green lantern emerald knights because this story of Lara is has been converted into an animated feature or part of an animated feature, and it's in Green Lantern Emerald Knights. So, if you've got Green Lantern Core Quarterly number six, uh, and you have the Emerald Knights DVD or Blu-ray, read Green Lantern Core Quarterly first, and then go watch Emerald Knights, and then read this again. And see what you think. Because it's... I've only flipped through it. It seems pretty darn accurate. So, I, that it was... I, I don't know. 
So I'm really looking forward to that. Plus, you get some cool splash pages, and the Alan Scott stuff really kicks up a gear and uh, uh, kicks up a notch. And you know, you get a story, um, a weird ass story that takes. <laughs> we don't get North, but we get another weird ass story next issue. Uh, and then Boudica shows up. So I mean, I think from here on out, the quarterly uh, issues are have a lot. I don't think we're going to have a very another underwhelming issue like this one was for the rest of the run. That's good to know. All right. Anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up this episode? Sure. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the Civil War trailer. I'm assuming you watched it. I watched it maybe twice, so I'm going to rely on you for the beats that you want to talk about. So I don't have the whole thing memorized. I don't have. The, I mean, I don't have it memorized either. But, <laughs> I, but, uh, and I probably watched it a couple, a couple of times. Uh, obviously, maybe, maybe we should talk about the most, the thing most people are talking about related to this trailer. So maybe we should, you know, deal with the nine thousand pound gorilla in the ruin. So what did, what did you think of the? The way they introduced him, and what do you think of the way Spider-Man looked? So the combo of both, what did you think about the um, very end of the trailer? Uh, I, I guess it was, yeah, it was cool that he, <laughs> first of all, before you even see him, Tony's signal to tell him to go get into the situation is shouting the word underoos. <laughs> Which which is really funny because when I first when I first it might have been it probably was because of the volume on my computer when I listened to it, but the first two times I watched it I thought he just said on the roof, calling to Spider Man and then I realized and then I somebody somebody else said under roofs and it's like okay let me go let me go to someplace else where I can get the volume higher and it's like oh yes there's an S at the end so he's saying under roofs, yeah that's kind of that's kind of funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> Spidey comes in, takes the. In two quick succession shots, takes Cap's shield from him, then binds his hands together in front of him, and then lands on top of a of a vehicle holding Cap's shield in, to quote Deadpool, superhero landing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and what does he say? What does he he says? Uh, hey everyone. Yeah, <laughs> and then he narrows his eyes, and the 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 suit. Maybe it's just a pose. I'm used to Spidey being lanky. He was pretty lanky. I mean, he, he's not built. He, no, 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 no. I just mean kind of a scrawny kid. Uh, you know, strong, but 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 scrawny, thin, um, uh, wispy. I don't, I don't, I don't know. This, this, he seems a little more stocky. Here, but he's but again he's in a weird position, so it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, the costume overall looks fine. I don't know how I feel about the eyes just yet. Yeah, I mean, well, on some basic level, I think it's it's you know it's borderline nitpicky for a lot of people to say, oh, why were the why were the eyes adjust? The eyes shouldn't adjust. You know, same way, kind of like you know, kind of like in Deadpool, like why should it? Why should his eyes, you know, move and things like that? You know, why should they go adjust like regular eyes? Why should the coverings of the eyes go? You know, it, so I and so, but with Spider-Man, it's kind of it's kind of nitpicky. I think, as other people have pointed out, or uh, as other people have made these criticisms, I and I think other people have responded the same way. But I know I feel the same way that 
Spider-Man, by the nature of his costume, the more closer to you get, the more closer to real comic book style costume you get, yeah, the more borderline weird it's going to look, or cheesy it might look, because Spider-Man's costume is just, you know, there's no armor in his costume, there's no real way to modify it to look with armor to take away the cheesiness. So I think it's the nature of the beast. If you want an accurate Spider-Man costume, it's gonna it might stand out in in a little more. It's definitely gonna stand out in the Marvel universe because we're 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 used to much more practical outfits, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think a little bit of the critique of the costume is unfair. Yeah, I don't think they really. I know why they do it with the eyes, just to be able to express emotion, which is hard to do when you have a cat when you have a, a face that doesn't you know with a mask like that. You don't see his eyes, you don't see his chin, you don't see anything. So you really don't get a whole lot, other than your vo- the inflections in your voice. You don't get it. You can't get any characterization, or you don't know what somebody's thinking or feeling. So I can understand why they did that. It didn't really bother me that much. The cost, the costume looks is fairly classic. There's more black in there than you know historically there should be, but it's okay. It was a cool appearance uh, because, as we've talked about before, there's so much going on with this movie and there's so much intrigue about this movie that the fact that Spider-Man was going to – the new Spider-Man was going to premiere and it has been like kind of lost in the, in the shuffle. You know, it's been, it's been just lost in the shadows there and this trailer just kind of brings it back home, which is probably why they wanted to do another trailer. Realistically speaking, they didn't really need to at this point. Some of the I know some of the criticism also is much like we talked about when they did the stupid reveal of the vision is like you wait this long not to show the character maybe you don't need to show the character because you think about it you could have done almost everything they did with the character at the end of that trailer but just not giving you a full glimpse of Spider-Man you know they could have had the webbing they could have had him taking the shield they could have even had him off camera just go hey everyone you know what I mean mm-hmm. and people would know who it is. So, it's a. I don't have an issue with them revealing it, but I think I think Marvel may. I don't know if their strategy sometimes lately, anyways, going from Ultron forward. I don't necessarily know. If, I think they may be showing too much. I think they play they show too much of their hand. Overall, I thought the trailer worked. I think they they do a nice job in, with the Thunderbolt Ross part and showing why you end up getting to the point where you. Th- where the world feels like it needs the Sokovia Accords because they're showing all the destruction that happened in, in New York and the Avengers and in, Was- and in Washington during Winter Soldier and then obviously in Sokovia and Ultron. That there's so much destruction that have been related to either the Avengers or even Cap, but not direct- they're not blaming Cap himself for this, I don't think directly, not exclusively anyway, of why they- there needs to be some reining in. It's kind of also interesting how you know how 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 Tony is kind of you know, Tony is kind of on board with this trying to reign because in a way it's kind of like what he was trying to do with Ult- the Ultron concept kind of to have like of trying to have kind of have some oversight kind of have some oversight over everything or right? being able to have a shield protecting everything and now basically in a way so in a way it's like. It's carrying on Tony's what his his mindset, but in a way, in a, he's kind of like trying to be protected from himself too, because of base, uh, because of some of the things he did. So you could, I mean, you could break it down and and, and think of it that way. And I, it's certainly clear, well, Tony's not going to be a villain, villain in the true sense of the word, but they are clearly setting him up to be 
as we kind of expected, that he's going to be he's going to be more of the bad guy on the surface than Cap, or more of the in the bully role. Because if that wasn't clear before, when you see him and he and Captain America when they're fighting, and he, when he tells them, you know, you know, you know, basically stay down. This is your last warning. And he goes, you know, I could do this all day, which is you know mirroring what he's but but the uh, what the still scrawny Steve Rogers said to the bully who was beating the crap out of him in the alley. Which of course is probably also relevant because that was right before Bucky stepped in and helped save him. So you can mm. almost take it to the bank that that's probably exactly what's going to happen at that scene in the movie. Is that that's when Bucky's going to come in, and that might be where we get that might be where we get potentially the uh, two-on-one fight that we've seen in the other trailer when Bucky and Cap are going at, at Iron Man together. That might be the stage when that happens. I've I'm trying to think what else of consequence that we see in that. Oh, one, my, my favorite scene. We finally get a classic Marvel, even cover image at several points. Ant-Man riding on the arrow of Hawkeye. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, and you act, I mean, this is actually the real, I mean, this is the real, I think the first trailer, you actually get the real presence of Ant-Man in it. Just, yeah. you know, when they're all running at each other at the airfield in their bath. About to go you know, when the battle's about to go down, you actually see Ant Man this time. When I don't think you really got a good, he I don't think he was in some some of the other clips that they showed of that. Yeah, you definitely see him shrunk down, being shot on the arrow, and seemingly going around Iron Man's defenses. It looks like uh, that was really that part was really cool. And you're right, it, it 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 does mirror the cover. I like the fact, which also makes sense based on the way these teams are made up, that I like the fact that you see Wanda being able to use her power. Even though obviously I love the Vision, but you I love but you see Wanda being able to use her powers and how it's able to affect the Vision, mm-hmm. which would make sense because seemingly there isn't anybody on Cap's team that would have a chance to take down the Vision on any level. So Wanda's about the only one because of her magic and because their powers are basically tied to the same uh, Infinity Stone. It would kind of make sense that she would be the one who might be able to do something towards him. Yeah. Um, Other than that, I don't really it. You get a greater sense of what the movie's about, like you were saying with the Accords and all of that, and it making more sense that there needs to be oversight and you know something going on um, that sort of te- you know tells the Avengers when to go into action. So it makes more sense of all of that, and you get you get some you get some uh, Falcon uh, T'Challa stuff that you didn't see before. Not not of them interacting together, but just more of it. And you get the 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 whole Ant Man on on Hawkeye's arrow and in the Spider Man thing. Other than all of that, I don't I didn't see anything in there that was new to me. Not just trailer wise, but of stuff I'd already seen, like uh, set photos and sort of trailer breakdowns and you know where potential scenes in, in, depicted in each trailer could be taking place and why. So. All of that just seemed to confirm some of the trailer breakdowns I've seen. I think that I mean I think that's a fair assessment. I'm trying to think there was there was something there was something else in the trailer. Oh, one thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch, and of course this would make sense to a certain extent based on her character and just based on what we've seen in their interaction between the three characters between Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, and Natasha. That. Exactly where Black Widow is going to be in this movie at the end, where she goes. Uh, yeah, we've seen her on both sides. We've, we have seen her on. I mean, this trail. I mean, 
in the trailers for this movie alone, we've seen her on both sides. I mean, she yeah. it's, it's perfectly clear based on everything we've seen built up to this point that based on personality type, based on personal relationship, that she's much more on Steve's side than on Tony's side because she's never really liked Tony. That's kind of been established that she's never been a big fan of Tony Stark. But yet we know when the, we, we – so in the beginning of this movie, we know she's with Steve because she's on the Avengers. And, he, and, that, and she is on the Avengers team that Steve is leading, which is what we saw at the, at the end of Ultron. Well, so is Vision and... Yeah, 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 oh, that, 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 is, that is true, too. But when we get to the fight on the, on the, on the, at the airfield, seemingly she's with on the Tony Stark side, unless she's not really on the Tony Stark side, because there's something, when, you know, when they're having that conversation in the trailer, when, she's, when Tony's talking to someone, it may not be Black Widow, because it may be the, may be the editing. But when, she, when right up, actually it wouldn't be. But I don't know. If, but I don't know if Black Widow would, was in that scene originally, and they just sliced it together. But, but when you see Tony talking to someone, going like they're gonna come after you or whatever, and then we see it, we cut to a scene with her and and Tony, and she goes, "Well, I'm not the one who who should be watching their back," and she's talking to Tony, and I think that clearly implies, really, you know, related to uh, whether it's related to Captain America himself or the fallout. For what might happen if if he goes, you know, basically Tony actively opposes Captain America or things like that. But it does raise the specter of what, at the end of the day, what side she's really going to be on. Is she really on? Does she really defect to Tony's side, really, or is she like maybe doing what she does best, kind of being a spy? Maybe she really isn't on Tony's team, but she goes to Tony's team to find out what he knows. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see because I think there always have been rumors in this movie that some people are that there's going to be a couple of people that are going to switch sides that start off on one side and end up on the other, whether that's Black Panther at the end, which may be doubtful because of supposedly the background with Bucky maybe being involved in killing his – or rumored to be in killing his father, which is seemingly why he's got it out for Bucky. So that might – so unless that's proven not to be true, then it kind of might be hard to see him switching onto Cap's team at, at, at any point. And maybe it's going to – it's Well, shifting loyalties was a big part of the comic in right. the first place, like Sue and Johnny – so right, so it would make sense, but then you look at some of the characters that lot that could really change, logically could change sides. Obviously, she's one that people have always zeroed in on. Maybe she starts off here. Maybe she ends up. Spider-Man is is the other obvious choice mm-hmm. to mirror to mirror what happened in the comics. That he starts off on Tony's side and ends up on Cap's side. So we could. Do you act- think we're gonna see this the the Iron Spidey armor? That's a good question. See. I know supposedly the rumor is that there's like two or three versions of Spider-Man's costume in this movie, that, that, that there are some rumors floating around that that's what's going to happen, that, we're, that so you'll see more than one. If the scene at the end of the movie, I mean, if the scene in the trailer is actually the climax of the movie, you're building towards it, which is the big confrontation, and it might not be. That might be, the, that might be the red herring, if you will, that maybe the actual battle, like the, the real duke out between Cap and Iron Man and then... Maybe that happens later on. Maybe the first confrontation is when, like, Rhodey gets hurt, whether he gets killed or not, still up in the air, but he gets seriously hurt. We know that from from seeing this trailer that confirms it. Do you think – sorry, I keep interrupting. Do you it's think, okay. Do you think the scene with Rhodey getting hurt, maybe dying, could be this Civil Wars version of um, – yeah. what's his name? Giant Man? Could be. Hercules or yeah, it could be. It could it, it could be because you know because because obviously you know they're not killing Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're actually because again one of the, one of the rumors about this movie is that there are there were there are two or three characters that were that death scenes were filmed for, 
Uh, obviously, Rhodey, I think it's safe to say whether he dies or not, Rhodey is probably absolutely one of them. I mm. think based on the storyline, we can probably safely assume Steve is is probably at least one of the others. And then that would open the door for if there's a third character, who who could it be that they would film the death, you know, the death of? Natasha. Uh, yeah, she's certainly the most expendable, especially as we start going on to the cosmic storyline. Just like I don't think I don't think they would though because of how how just I don't think they would because of the the female factor. Yeah, the the, the PR nightmare it would cause to kill off Natasha. Yeah, and it would kind of be, and it kind of also would blow to kill to kill Hawkeye now after they kept as you know they kept foreshadowing and Whedon was going out of the his way to foreshadow that Hawkeye was going to die in Ultron just to have him survive, and so he dies here. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, but it's, it's probably safe to assume that, you know, we. I think if you can take it to the bank, at least one to two main characters are going to die. Rhodey may not die, and there's also a rumor that whoever dies is, is ultimately going to be just be brought back in the Infinity War anyway, so... Cap, you can moment. Cap, you can take to the bank. If he ends up dying at the end of this movie, you know he's going to be back, at least for Infinity War 2. Not just because... It would it would make perfect sense, and maybe that's when we finally get the moment when he holds Thor's hammer. But also because Chris Evans has one more movie left on his contract, and they're not going to have him sit out both parts of Infinity War. Yeah. So if he dies at the end of this movie, you know he'll be back. But there's also rumors like Quicksilver, you know, might be back, and and you know he gets brought back too. But where I was going with it was the fight was that maybe you know the big battle at the airfield is not maybe that just happens a little earlier in the movie in, or. It sets the stage for the big fight with Cap and Iron Man because Iron Man's super, super pissed. I mean, it could it could just be in the same scene, you know, same basic scene, just you know, maybe ten or ten minutes or fifteen minutes apart as it goes on. But maybe there's a little bit, maybe there's a little bit more to it, and that could be uh, because to going back. And this, uh, the reason why I went down this road, sorry, is because you asked about the Iron Spider costume. And if that big fight at the at the airfield is not towards the end of the movie, and if he's not wearing his Iron Spider costume, then when is he going to be able to wear it? You know, logically, mm-hmm. unless you see him get upgraded at the end of the movie, when would you see him wear it? If he's going to wear it, you know, in an active way in this in this movie. So that's that's the only thing. You might you might you if there's interaction with Tony and, and Spider-Man, you know, if you. In the movie, before you get to that point, maybe you see him working on that armor, or maybe you see that king, like one of those Easter eggs kind of hanging somewhere, but yet he never actually wears it in the, in the movie. I don't know. It would be interesting to see. I think, so, so obviously, like, Spider-Man could be a character that flip-flops. He starts off with Tony. We know he's on Tony's side, at least when that battle begins, but maybe somehow he ends up something changes him. And that's another thing that made me think that maybe this is not the complete end of the movie because maybe something happens worse that makes Spider-Man switch sides by the time you get to the end. Something that happens in that fight that makes him realize maybe he's on the wrong side. But I'm really, I'm really, really, really looking forward to this movie. I would say I'm still looking forward to Batman you know, versus Superman. Got my tickets. Oh, that's probably, probably something we should touch on too briefly, the Green Lantern thing. But before, but let me wrap this up first. Uh, I am looking forward to Batman versus Superman, but I still still a lot more doubts about what that movie is going to be. Civil War, I don't have a lot of doubt this movie is going to be great. I would be stunned that this movie is not great, considering what what the Russos did with Civil War and what everything is pointing, how they're developing this. I think uh, this could this they could up their own ante with so many people thinking Winter Soldier at this point was the best Marvel movie that Civil War may just could very well eclipse that. So. Civil War is supposed to be the longest-running Marvel movie yes, to like, date so far, right? Yeah, like 226, I think, or something like that. 
So yeah, I'm 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 really look I'm really 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 looking forward to it, and it's going to be interesting to see how exactly how once we see the whole movie actually see the whole movie, how much of an ass Tony Stark comes out as being. Uh, we know he's always got that side of his personality, but Robert Downey Jr. is so likable, he makes it he makes it palatable. Plus, you know he's always looking out for the greater good. Now, when you have him versus Cap. Some of those dynamics change because obviously Steve Rogers, by the very nature of who he is, is a lot more of a noble character than Tony Stark is. A lot more of a selfless character than, a to- than Tony Stark. So having so when you see them completely against each other, and it really does depend how, and it's going to clearly be by decision. They they would have decided exactly how they want to portray Tony, and maybe for a reason going forward too, because obviously there's going to be ramification for this going down in the future movies because another, another rumor related to this is as a fallout of this movie is that like when Thanos first appears that the Avengers don't necessarily fight him united the first time basically you have Cap's team and Tony's team engaging Thanos separately because they're completely broken apart so it's the idea of the pieces this movie breaks all the pieces to, apart and it doesn't they don't come back together until maybe basically Infinity War Part 2 because of the damage done because of this event so we'll see, but I, I, I'm really looking forward to this, and this trailer just kind of like ups the ante. So you want to talk, you, you want to, because I, I know you posted about this in, a few times too, so you want to talk about the Green Lantern thing related to Justice League and everything else? Uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said from the WB said that essentially Green Lantern will not be appearing until Justice League 2. Um, at the earliest, at the at earliest, the, <laughs> at the earliest, because they want to, they want to, you know, they want time to salvage the character uh, from the kind of crapshoot that they did in 2011, which is understandable. But that caused, because I've said in the past, uh, I think on a recent episode, that I use TweetDeck, which enables you to, you know, see see your uh, your feed of people you follow on Facebook in one column all the replies and stuff directly to you on in one another column. Another column, you can choose a hashtag to see what's going on with a certain hashtag uh, and, and everything people post under that and so on and so forth. Well, I've got, a, I've got a notification for a hashtag Green Lantern. So when that news came out, a lot of people were, were freaking out about it. And I was understandably freaking out with them, but then I thought to myself, all they said was, we're not going to see Green Lantern until Justice League 2. And they said that they want time to salvage the character. I think that that means we're going to see Hal Jordan before we see him get it rain. To me, that makes sense. Now, I, don't, I haven't heard you talk about it, Mark, and obviously you'll have a chance to do that. But to me, that makes sense. If you want time to salvage the character, introduce us to him... And make us care about him before he ever gets superpowers. And realistically, of the other JLA members, outside of Batman and Superman, who everybody already knows their origins, so it doesn't really matter, who else has a compelling story and is an interesting enough and versatile enough and useful enough character to be in the focus, but not a hero. Not a an Air Force, an Air Force test pilot. 
Like, Hal Jordan has can play a multitude of different roles and different fulfill different needs within you know whatever story you're telling before he ever even gets a ring. And I think that would be awesome because it sounds like in Batman versus Superman, obviously Batman has already existed in this universe. Superman got established in Man of Steel. Wonder Woman's been around forever. In the culmination of events in Batman vs. Superman, we know for sure we're going to be seeing Aquaman, Cyborg, and Flash. Already as those characters. So, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of feel like it'd be cool to see... And, and, and I don't want them to focus a lot on him. Because I think if you spend too much time focusing on Hal Jordan without a ring, it might be stealing scenes that could otherwise make other movies better. But one of the things, it's it's almost like Hal Jordan could fulfill a Steve Trevor type role, kind of. But not, you know, obviously not directly. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just, I feel like, I feel like it's a, if, 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 what they mean by no Green Lantern until Justice League 2 at the earliest means that we will be getting how smart move. If they mean no Green Lantern until Justice League 2 means no Green Lantern, period. Whether it be pre-ring or post-ring until Justice League 2, I think that's a really bad call. But if they mean no superpower, Green Lantern, but yes, how? I'm in. Good move. I think it depends on how they use him and whether we get to see him. Whether, well, I don't know because it's going to be hard to imagine. I guess you could come up with roles for you know a fighter pilot. You could get you could come up with roles for him where he could be involved. But you just can't imagine him being that much involved as as a as a non. You know, a non-superhero. So that means if you only, in a way, that means to me, it would just be like kind of like glorified cameos that they were going to do that, which is just kind of teasing. This is coming. This is coming. If they do that, I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's going to work for a lot of people. I don't really know. I don't. I think I. I think a lot of at least the comic book fans are not are not going to be thrilled with that because we know no matter which incarnation, which in which version, which DC universe, which relaunch, what that Hal's always been a founding member of the Justice League, and according to this way of doing things, Hal is not only not going to be a, a, a founding member, he could be but you know you you could have a whole bunch you could, theoretically you could have a bunch of other characters join the Justice League even after the first you know the first little mini team comes together and that's whether you consider that at the end of this movie or not you kind of almost would considering the title of this movie that it's just kind of like joining the team after you know after the fact and being just you know i don't know i i I think that's that's gonna i think that could rub people the wrong way now from their point of view if they if they really think the character is that is that damaged then Again, I, I don't know. You would think you'd be. You would think you could come up with a, a way to be able to introduce that character sooner, and you would without having without it being a risk. You, you could you could have a, some kind of dramatic moment 
and do it in a way because and it's because let's be blunt, it's not like some of the other things they're doing are in risk. I mean, their whole choice of doing their, their Momoa, Momoa version of Aquaman is a risk. I mean, that's not there's nothing traditional about the way he's about at least by by design the way he's set up to be Arthur. He's not. He doesn't look anything like him. He doesn't. So he kind of looks like the Peter David Aquaman minus the hook hand. Maybe, maybe. Other than and the wrong color hair, of course, right? But I don't know. I I I I don't know about I don't know about that. Uh, Wonder Woman, maybe. Uh, I mean, by looks, I mean she could do the role. But you, nobody knows how. That's one of the problems with the DC, with the DC universe, the, the way they're setting it up, setting it up, the cinematic universe, is that they have they have so many things in the hopper, and so many things that seemingly they're already going ahead with green green lit filming. Gonna you know Wonder Woman's filming now. Justice League. Part one is supposed to start filming in April. All these things in the first in the Batman movie, Superman movie hasn't come out yet. Nobody knows how that movie's people are going to react to that movie. Yet we know it's going to make money. That's a given. It's going to make money whether it sucks or not because the interest is there. So it's going to make and it's going to you know make more money than Man of Steel just because of the curiosity factor. Doesn't mean people are going to like it. It doesn't mean it's going to be a, a critical hit or a, a fan, you know, an audience fan favorite. So for them to be, you know, Wonder Woman's filming now, okay? Well, what if people, what if people hate this movie? Even though they probably, I have a feeling they won't hate her, regardless. But what, what if they don't like her? What if they still like her, but they, but they got a bad taste in their mouth because of this movie? That movie's already filming, so you're locked into that. Suicide Squad comes out. It's gonna, you know, comes out this summer. Is it probably gonna do well? It's probably gonna do okay. I mean, people I think are kind of wet in their pants a little bit. I think being misled by the fact that Deadpool just kind of like blew everything out of the water, which we've never talked about either. But the Deadpool did so well, which nobody, including the studio, expected it to do as well as it did. But there might be a hundred factors why that happened. But you can't count on that. I mean, you can't. And when something like Deadpool is better than all the other X-Men movies that have ever been have ever come out, including the Days of Future Past and things like that, you can't count on that happening again, especially for a character for characters that even le- have less of a profile overall, other than like Harley Quinn, have less of a profile, and they yeah they throw in the Joker to try to a- a- you know raise it. But as far as the characters of the team, other than Harley Quinn, nobody knows pretty much any of these characters for the most part. Not not people out there in regular who are not you know real com- diehard DC comic fans. So they they've already greenlit the sequel to that, which of course we know can change because Fantastic Four sequel was greenlit before the movie came out too, and we saw, and now it's you know pre- probably you know DOA the idea of ever that ever happening. But the idea that Justice League is filming now, we don't mean, and again all these things are going to be filming in a month, and it's like I don't know they've got so much they got all this stuff in the hopper. Oh, but they're afraid to reintroduce Green Lantern too soon because people because uh, it, it left, you know because they're 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 afraid. It's like uh, could be a fake out. Yeah, it could be a fake out. It's absolutely correct. It could be a fake out. It could this could be a pushback to all the rumors that said you know he was going to be showing up, you know at the end of uh, the end of Batman vs Superman. This could be a way of pushing back against that, uh, or it could be a way of just. Of yes, uh, a fake out just to you know the le- le- lessen the expectation and make people think, oh, we're not going to see this character, just so that maybe they, there's a scene that they had that they're going to put it at the last second before they you know they, sh- they ship the prints and the, and the hard drives out to studios in in another like two weeks, and just just to surprise people, who knows? Uh, but if that's but just going by the possibility, which is all we're really talking about, the possibility that this is true. 
I don't know. It was bad enough that the friggin' Green Lantern Corps movie was scheduled in 2020, like friggin' after Shazam, of all things. Even though, yes, uh, with The Rock, you know, The no, Rock. No, after Cyborg, of all things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 Cyborg is one of their, you know, big PC-driven and everything else, and other reasons why, but PC is part of it. Since John, especially if, without bringing John Stewart in, they have to they have to fall back on Cyborg for the whole diversity thing. You have to have diversity. So the reality is, yeah, Cyborg and and at the expense of uh, Martian Manhunter too. He's kind of like the guy in the group who's kind of been pushed aside, so you can bring Cyborg in. Mm. But yes, I have behind yeah behind Cyborg, who the hell is clamoring for a goddamn Cyborg individual movie? I mean, come on. I mean, that's just that that is that's absolutely a slap in the face. Shazam, maybe not because at least you know you're gonna theoretically if this all goes. You know, pay, you know, all goes the way they want it to. You know, if, you know the fruition. It come, you know, the, it all ends up being where it's supposed to and comes to fruition. The Rock is Black Adam will be awesome if they have somebody halfway decent as Shazam. That that could be really cool. But still, Green Lantern pushed so far back, so far back. I mean, and the idea of him. Oh, we could have a whole two-part Justice League movie in which we still assume it's going to be Dark Side. As the villain, maybe it won't be, but we assume it's going to be. And yet, Hal Jordan and Green Lantern's not going to be in it at all. That's that, that that's that's about as that's about as bullshitty as having uh, the Infinity Gaunt, the Infinity Wars Part One and Two, and not having Iron Man or Captain America in, in either part. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's not. It's. It would. Yeah, I don't know. We will see. It's all speculation. We'll probably have a better idea in another couple of weeks when Batman vs. Superman comes out. At least a little bit. That may not answer all the questions, but it certainly will answer whether or any of the rumors were true about you know who who shows up, whether he whether he shows up just in human form or whether he shows up in Green Lantern form, whether even how you know whether Hal Jordan you know there's you know is, is a, there's a shout out to Hal Jordan by being one of the pilots in the movie or whatever. We'll have a better idea once we see it. But we'll see. Uh, it also I, raises it also raises the question of what does unite the seven mean? Oh yes, I forgot about those posters. Yes. Which, speaking of Shazam, it maybe they replace Green Lantern with Shazam. Well, who well who do we have to get to the seven? I'm just gonna count. We have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, Aquaman. Aquaman. That's six. That's six. So we have one more left. So it's either Hal or Shazam because those are those are the only other two getting an individual movie. Right. So if they're not doing Green Lantern, it's got to be Shazam. Yep. It would it would ha- it would have to be. It would have to be yeah. one of one of those two to unite the seven. Yeah. Oh well. All right. You want to go ahead and wrap things up? I will wrap things up. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, the. the Email lanterncast at gmail.com. The website, of course, is lanterncast.com. Check out our latest episodes, our blogs, issue reviews, Ring Cyclopedia episodes. Uh, good stuff there. Check it out. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to find us on any of those. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like us on either one of those platforms or both, please leave us a positive review. Uh, last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, next episode? No idea. No we... idea. Well, we've got plans, but yeah, we have what's a... next. I almost said that. As I was saying it, I almost stopped. We have ideas of what to do. We have we have just not decided what we will do. So, that, so it, it probably won't take a lot of effort to figure out what 
Oh, the one thing I should I should have I should mention, which is a selfless plug too. I probably should have done that. Not entirely selfless because it, it does relate to both of us. It, it helps the show. Uh, by the time this comes out, this will come out probably what the uh, St. Patrick's Day week, right? Ideally, yeah. yeah. So uh, somewhere around that time, uh, our friend Ryan Daly there on his uh, his Star Wars podcast, part of the Fire and Water Network, that uh, I th- give me those. I think it's give me those Star Wars. Yep, give me those Star Wars, part of the Fire and Water Network. Yep, Ta- I'm sure taken from the Bill Murray lyrics of of his Star Wars when he was singing the Star Wars song on Saturday Night Live. That I will be on. I will be on that show. Probably he originally said it would probably be coming out that week so it could be the week this comes out that i'm going to be on with ryan and we're going to be talking about the blu-ray release of star wars and what's on it and what we expect from it and we're we're also going to be delving deeper into ray's vision ray's force vision in that movie and related to the version that was in the book and kind of break it down what's in it how the, how they differ and what we think it means so so if you like star wars you like me you like ryan you like Fire and Water podcast? Probably should check that out. That'll be—I think that'll be a pretty cool episode. Certainly was was certainly fun to do, and that which also makes sense because because Ryan will be joining us again in the near future, probably for episode 250. Though we won't be saying what that's going to be about. And you you and I will probably be joining Ryan soon when we do the Hal Jordan relatively soon when we're doing the Hal Jordan origin on his Secret Origins podcast. Mm-hmm. So that should be cool. You got one other thing to plug. Oh, the plot. Yes, I must. I feel bad. I see this isn't up my alley to do. Sh- this might be more. I see. I can say this isn't a shameless plug either because Jim founded this show. <laughs> uh, greatest toy podcast. That's what we decided upon, right? I believe. I don't know. I didn't listen. Oh. <laughs> I'm not a toy collector. You're not, For, you're not well, a toy okay. collector. Let me, I'm let not. Me... A, I'm not a toy collector unless it, a certain figure really leaps out to me. Plus. I don't have any money right now, so I can't afford to hear something and go, oh, that sounds cool, I want to buy that. Because I'm just going to be depressed later. <laughs> I know, some, sometimes that actually is that actually is what happens. I mean, it doesn't bother me as much, whether I, you know money's tight or not. I don't mind going and seeing Well, something. you have a better f- handle on your finances. Well, I just like, meant in general. Just, even, just in ge- last week, I was negative $230. <laughs> 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 but I just mean in general, even when even when things are tighter, I think I can still look at stuff and appreciate it and not feel, oh, shit, I can't buy it, so why did I come in here? But I do understand. I absolutely understand because my friend's the same way. That sometimes, like, I was like, do you want to go? If we're out, I was like, do you want to go to Toys R Us? It's like, well, I don't have any money. It's like, I don't know. It's like, up to you. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, so it's the, the greatest toy podcast with which uh, Lantern Cast founder Jim Ford and I have done two episodes so far or episode zero which is more of a test and I think episode one which is um, <clears throat> a little bit more of a I think more of a finished product based on the time frame uh, or the, the uh, not the time frame so much as the game plan or how we're going to approach this there will be some themes that will change so uh, so the website is the greatest toy and at the moment the website you know it's not it's not on iTunes yet or, or Stitcher we still have to work on logos and come up with uh, website designs and things like that so it's still raw bones people but uh but, so we talk about what's what's coming out in toys what's just released in toys and you know and we do reviews too uh so 
like in ep- the issue, the episode, excuse me, we just did episode one. Uh, we talk about, uh, Jim talks about the Lego carbon freezing chamber that he just got, uh, with, which is pretty cool because it's got like three different things. It functions on three different levels, including like popping out a frozen Han and carbonite and taking in the regular Han. And I talk about the, the Justice League tarot card set, which is pretty cool. So, greatestoypodcast.com. You can check out those episodes. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can always email us at lanterncast.com too, and we can, or Facebook us, and we can lead you towards that. But that should be, that's a fun one to record, so hopefully it'll be a fun one for people to listen to. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. Good night, everybody. <laughs>